You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. Welcome to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And on today's episode, I'm back with the next installment of what I'm calling my book reports. I assure you this will be a more delightful experience than the traumatic book reports we were all obligated to write in our grade school days. With these book reports, I'm going to share some notes and reflections on a recent book that I read, a book that I feel is important in terms of what it looks like to create and pursue an uncommon life. Listen, people, leaders are readers and reading is a superpower. And I want to say that again, reading is a superpower. Don't believe me? Then you're probably not a reader. But allow me to elaborate on this controversial statement. I once heard a great thought on the practice of reading as a superpower. So let me ask you this, what goes into writing a book? I've personally never written a book, so I'm speculating here, but I imagine months, even years of research, countless hours of painstakingly articulating thoughts and presenting them in clear and concise final products, not to mention all the effort that you have to go into for publishing, but I'm talking strictly about all the time, effort, and energy that goes into writing a book. So when you're reading a book, you are the recipient and benefactor of all that time and effort that the author committed to really crystallize that knowledge. So you get to take it in through organized chapters and thoughts, and, and it, you can really take this superpower to the next level if you actually apply the knowledge to your life. So yes, if you're looking to elevate your life, lead a more uncommon life, and reading isn't a regular practice, I want to encourage you to start reading today. And I totally understand, I can empathize, that reading is very difficult for some people. You might read slowly or have to read the same page five times before you understand it, but I assure you it is worth the effort. I know that a lot of people struggle with reading comprehension, but you know, the more you read, the better you're going to get at it. And especially with audiobooks being so prevalent today, you really don't have a valid excuse for refusing to read. All right, let me now step off my soapbox and I'll get into my book report for today. And the book of this report is entitled The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. My role in doing a book report is not to summarize the plot, but rather to pull some important points out and talk about my reflections of them and how I plan to apply this knowledge and, and encourage you to do the same. But the basic premise of The Go-Giver is the story of an ambitious young businessman named Joe who is hungry for success. Yet in spite of his desire and hard work, he often feels that his efforts take him further and further from his goal of success. One day, Joe finds himself where many business people end up, desperately trying to hit his third quarter quota. He connects with the enigmatic Pindar, 
who is a legendary consultant renowned for his entrepreneurial prowess. Joe connects with Pindar in hopes of leveraging Pindar's clout to close his BK, or Big Kahuna, deal. But instead, Pindar provides Joe with a revolutionary philosophy known as the Five Laws of Stratospheric Success, which are centered around the idea of principles of giving. As you can imagine, these laws not only result in the success Joe desires, but they cause a paradigm shift in the way he conducts business and views relationships as well as success. As Joe discovers the true power of giving, he learns to receive everything that he needs. So again, I'm not going to do a deep dive into the plot of the book. You can and should get the book from a local bookstore or better yet, rent it from your library. This book is only 122 pages. I read it in a day. That's not bragging. I just, it was short. Uh, the story itself is very engaging and well-written, great dialogue. So for me, it was a, a fun and easy read and, and the philosophy in it was very compelling. So I just, I wanted to keep going. So what I'm going to do with my report is summarize the, these five laws of stratospheric success, offering my own reflections as well as sharing my intentions to implement these laws into my own life. And one of the most compelling aspects of the story is the condition with which Pindar shares his laws with Joe. He requires Joe to act upon each law the very same day that he learns them. So one day he learns the first law and Pindar says, you have to act on it before you go to bed tonight. So for each law, he's compelled and in some cases he's charged to taking action, which is so important. That's the... Uh, I think a characteristic of a truly great coach is not just going to tell you some good things and some good philosophy, but is going to hold you to taking action. And Pindar tells Joe that failure to act on these laws would result in the immediate termination of their relationship, the end of Joe's opportunity to learn from Pindar. So I think it only right that I also commit to applying these laws. All right, let's get into it. The five laws of stratospheric success. And let's take a quick step back and even offer a definition of stratospheric that can mean relating to the layer of the Earth's atmosphere above the troposphere, about 32 miles, but that's not really what we're talking about. What stratospheric means in terms of these laws for success refers to extremely high. It's almost beyond comprehension. So that sounds pretty good to me. Um, I'm definitely open to learning some things that might bring some stratospheric success into my own life. First law is the law of value. The subtitle with that is your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And as I was reading, kind of I immediately went, my mind went to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. And I'll say there are a lot of biblical parallels that I personally drew from these laws. And so that's always important for me because especially when I'm reading a book that's kind of touting some type of philosophy, I'm internalizing its principles and really holding it up to the word of God. So I think there's a lot of merit, biblical merit to um, what these laws are putting forth. And so 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, your true worth is determined by how much you give uh, or reap uh, generously than the value that you take in payment. And the first question one should ask when presented with an opportunity is not, does it make money, but rather, does it serve? Does it add value to others? 
And the point being is that radical generosity, it's not a strategy to just make money, but it's a, a way of life. And when you add value to other people, natural byproduct of that is that you're going to get value in return. So that's the first law, the law of value. The second law is the law of compensation. It says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So really building upon that first law of adding value to people. Or another way to think of it is your compensation is directly proportional to how many lives you touch. So you get to determine your level of compensation. It's under your control. And if you want more success or higher pay, then you can find a way to serve more people. Another compelling point here is there's also no limitation on what you can earn because you can always find more people to serve. It may mean that you have to change your business strategy, offer a new product or service, but there's always opportunity. And Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. So you may have to identify and ditch old belief systems that aren't serving you, but are rather hindering you. Something like people are either rich or they're good. You can't be both. Or desiring to make a lot of money corrupts the hard work. Because what you focus on is what you get. And this is a challenging principle for me, because I'll be honest and admit that I've had some limiting beliefs in terms of the relationship between my work and income and even my faith. And I've often felt selfish or guilty for wanting to make more money and even believing that I'm not capable or worthy of a higher salary. I think a lot of times I've just believed like I need to work hard at whatever I do solely for God's glory and and desiring to make, to be handsomely compensated is, is sinful, quite frankly. But I'm coming around to having, I think, more of a holistic and healthy view of like, yeah, hard work should primarily be done for God's glory, but he's also, he's our provider and he's a giver of good things. And there are very godly men and women who not only work hard for God's glory, but they're financially very wealthy. And I think if and when you start to experience success and make more money certainly you should guard against greed or the love or idolatry of money but it's i don't believe it's sinful in and of itself to make a lot of money really it just comes down to your motive as well as your stewardship we talk you know one of our uncommon pillars is stellar stewardship so the more money you make that doesn't necessarily mean that should translate into a a more expensive lifestyle it doesn't mean that you should always be trying to get that bigger, nicer house or the that brand new luxury automobile or updating your wardrobe or going out for expensive dinners. Certainly you can indulge in some of those things, but those should not be your, your ultimate motive. Um, and really just what does it look like to be an effective and godly manager of your money and, and all the resources that the Lord provides you with. And I, I try to always remember if and when God does bring success and more money into my life. For me, that's going to mean that my wife and I can give more and we can invest more into God's kingdom. In regards to the law of compensation, they touched on three universal reasons for why we work. And it's to survive, to save, and to serve. So survival, meeting your basic needs, saving, going beyond your basic needs, and expanding your life, and then serving, 
to make a contribution to the world around you. And most people spend their entire lives focusing on the first. They're just trying to survive. They're trying to, you know, they might be living paycheck to paycheck. They're just trying to pay their bills, put food on the table, you know, clothes on their kids, whatever it looks like. That's most people. A smaller number of people are able to focus on saving. But even what that looks like of what they're saving for, you know, are they just saving for retirement in this grand vision of what life might look like someday when they're in the twilight of their their years? There's a lot of we could go into in terms of, of saving, but really it's like, what are your values? And then a rare few people get to the point of financial success where they're able to keep their focus on serving. And they're actually able to use their fortune to bless other people and to not use their wealth to keep other people down, but actually to elevate those around them. It doesn't mean that they're giving out handouts, but they're using their resources to empower other people, bringing them up to their level. No one is a self-made man or woman. Anyone who is financially successful has had people help them at some point in their journey. And I think when you get to that point where serving is the the biggest focus for you in terms of your financial resources you're just paying forward that gratitude for the the people that have helped you along the way so that's the second law the third law is the law of influence your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first again a verse that came to mind here was philippians 2 3 it says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility regard others as more important than yourselves and they, ask, they talk about network here because we're talking about how abundantly you can place other people's interests, this question of what is a true network. And the book defines it as a group of people who know, like, and trust you. And you hear that phrase a lot of times in, in sales, that know, like, and trust factor. In terms of, of the way this book portrays it, these people may never actually buy a thing from you, but they've always got you in the back of their minds. They are personally invested in seeing you succeed and you are the very same way about them. So it's reciprocal. And they're your army of personal walking ambassadors. And that is truly powerful. I think that's abundantly more powerful than just having them be a customer. They're your advocates. So even if they never buy, who are the people that they're telling about your products and services that maybe actually translates into a lot more sales than if they would just been a once-off customer. But people who are, are fans of what you're doing and, and advocate for you and, and share um, and then you you give that back to them. What most people mean when they say win-win is disguised way of, of keeping track. So this idea of quid pro quo, a favor for a favor, all these cliches, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, conditional service. But the this book makes a point that when you base your relationships in business or otherwise on who owes who what, that's not being a friend, that's being a creditor. And that really, really struck me. You know, I think we need to be just as good as accepting help and favors as we are with giving help and favors. We need to resist the temptation to deny help from others because of the perception that it's charity and our pride keeps us from accepting help from people. Uh, really, like, the importance of forgetting this 50-50 agreement. The book makes the point that it's a losing proposition. The only winning proposition is 100%. So when you can make your win about the other person, you can go after what that person needs. And in turn, you can trust and have faith that your needs will get met. I think of Zig Ziglar's famous quote, 
says, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. And isn't that just a much more rewarding and fulfilling journey rather than having this dog-eat-dog mentality and business and work needs to be cutthroat and it's every man for himself. You can actually stand out and be uncommon by truly caring about the people around you and caring about their needs and, and prioritizing that above your own selfish desires. And I can't think of anything that would stand out more in the marketplace. That's a very Christ-like. I mean, Jesus was the ultimate model of someone who didn't seek his own will or his own needs, but ultimately set aside his divine privileges and took on the form of a servant and ultimately he laid his life down to meet the most important need of all humanity is that's the need to be freed and forgiven from our sin. So yeah, I think if we can adopt this mindset of building relationships by prioritizing other people's needs over our own, we're not only going to stand out as uncommon and, and as a witness for Christ, but we're also going to get our needs met in some very amazing ways. And some refer to this as enlightened self-interest. You focus on the needs of others with faith that when you do, you'll get what you need. And if you ask most people what they'd say creates influence, like what are some answers that they would give? Some of the answers in the book are, you know, money creates influence. Your position is your influence. A track record of success. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but those things don't create influence. Actually, influence creates those things. Influence leads to money, leads to position, leads to success. What creates influence is putting others' interests first. And why do some people possess an inexplicable magnetic quality? People are drawn to them. It's because they give. They give of their time. They give of their resources. They give of their energy. They're genuinely interested in other people and their success. They genuinely love other people. And because of that love, they're compelled to give of themselves and givers attract. So that's the third law, the law of influence, a very, very important one. The fourth law is the law of authenticity. The most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Reaching a goal you set requires 10% technical skills and 90% people skills. That's pretty compelling. And if that's true, it begs the question, what is the foundation of all people skills? Is it empathy? Is it being a good listener? Is it charisma, just being able to connect? While those are all important, the most important aspect of people skills is authenticity, being your true self. We talk a lot in this community of discovering your authentic self, like who are you at your core? And that's why we talk about core values. That's why we Practice affirmations, affirming our identity, our identity in Christ. How do our core values shape our identity? And then how does our identity shape our vision for our lives and the things that we say yes to and pursue, the things that we say no to because they are not central to our core values, the power of saying no. As long as you're trying to be someone else or presenting a facade that someone else maybe taught you that you should have or modeled, then you won't be able to truly reach and connect with people. Ultimately, you're selling yourself, and people don't want a fake version of you. They want the real you, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think a major way for us to be uncommon in our authenticity is to be open and vulnerable about our our faults and our 
just that we are fallible people and we make mistakes, but we learn from our mistakes. And we, you know, if you're a believer in Christ, like being honest about your sin struggles and being accountable to a community that you trust and, and, and admitting when you fall and being able to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, practice repentance. That is one of the most authentic practices that we can do. And I think that's rare even within a, a church culture um, where shame is still very prevalent and people, and myself included, want to conceal our sins and our mistakes in, in the dark because we're afraid of being rejected by people. Maybe we're even afraid of being rejected by God. But I would personally never want to follow a leader that claimed to never make any mistakes because one, I would know they're a liar. And two, I'm like, I can't relate to that person. So yeah, let's just be authentic. The fifth and final law is the law of receptivity. The key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. This is a this is a challenging one. We're all familiar with the adage, it's better to give than to receive. But is that really true? Is it really better to give than to receive? These are some examples from the book. It says, if I told you it's healthier to exhale than to inhale, would you believe me? Of course not, because if you only exhaled, you would die. What if I said it's healthier for your heart to only relax and not contract? Would you believe that? No, again, if your heart only opened up, Without squeezing down again, you would die. These analogies apply to the traditional wisdom that's drummed into our conscience from our youth in terms of giving. The author writes, it's insane to try to give and not receive. I've often heard the inverse sentiment express um, where you can't receive with clenched fists, meaning you can't get more if you're not willing to open your hands and give. And the opposite of that is also true. If you never receive, you can't replenish your supply for giving. So it's it's a circular relationship. You can't have one without the other. And going back to the character Pindar, he says, trying not to receive is not only foolish, it's arrogant. When someone gives you a gift, what gives you the right to refuse it, to deny their right to give? Receiving is the natural result of giving. If you give and then try to stop the receiving that comes back to you, you're like King Canute watching the tide roll out and commanding it not to come back in. It has to come back in just as your heart has to contract after relaxing. So every giving can happen only because there is receiving. And it's at this moment in, in the end of the story that Joe has an epiphany, which he articulates with a illuminating meta-narrative, and I'm just going to read it now. It's on page 104 if you have a copy of this, but it says, Joe's thoughts started coming in a rush. All the giving in the world won't bring success, won't create the results you want, unless you also make yourself willing and able to receive in like measure. Because if you don't let yourself receive, you're refusing the gifts of others and you shut down the flow. Because human beings are born with appetite, nothing is more naturally geared toward being receptive than a baby. And if the secret of staying young, vibrant, and vital throughout life is to hang on to those most precious characteristics we all have as children, but which get drummed out of us, like having big dreams, being curious, and believing in yourself, then one of those characteristics is being open to receiving, being hungry to receive, being ravenous to receive, and now Joe's eyes were shining, as were Pindar's watching him. In fact, all those things I just mentioned, having big dreams and being curious and believing in ourselves, 
Those are all aspects of being receptive. They're all the same thing as being receptive. Being open to receive is like, and here Joe seemed to grapple for a moment. He spread out his arms and looked upward as if searching for a word big enough to convey his thoughts. It's like everything. So the secret to success, Joe went on, to gaining it, to having it, is to give, give, give. The secret to getting is giving, and the secret to giving is making yourself open to receiving. What do you call this law? Pindar raised his eyebrows. What would you call it? Joe replied without hesitation, the law of receptivity. Pindar nodded thoughtfully. Good. So yeah, he has an amazing, amazing epiphany in that moment in terms of the relationship of of giving and being open to receive and getting and then just kind of that that motion the relationship and it begs the question how do you go about being actively open to receive and the book doesn't offer a clear-cut answer to this question but I think there are some practical ways to live open to receiving the first would be to declare it in prayer just telling God that affirming to God his character and his nature that he is the giver of all good things you know, there's a story that Jesus tells of, of human fathers, their children come to them and ask for good things. Like, are those fathers going to give them bad things? No. And Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit of those who ask them? So I think just coming to God and saying, Lord, I know that you are a giver of all good things and I am open to receiving. I receive not because of my worthiness or my, my merit or even deserving it, but I, but I receive it because... I know you love me and I know you want to give me good things. And I think just declaring that in prayer is super powerful. Another way that we can live actively open to receiving in our lives is paying attention and being open to opportunity around us. Turn, you know, put our phones away, open your eyes, open your ears, practice being observant and perceptive to the opportunities that are constantly presenting themselves. Say hi to strangers, pay attention to the people around you at the store or the coffee shop. Take the blinders off and don't be so fixated on what you're doing that you miss out on those around you. I think another way is to say yes when opportunities present themselves. Whether that's in business or in relationships or your finances or just the opportunities to, to go somewhere new, try something different. Use discernment and say yes to things even if, if it's a little risky. Risk it for the biscuit, right? And then mix up your routine. Again, go to different places at different times. Go for walks. Explore your surroundings, your neighborhood, your city. Search for where people are already meeting and involved in things that you're interested in and just go check it out. And sure, it might not end up being for you, but at least you'll know. And who knows, it might end up being the breakthrough that you need. Reach out and connect to people who are doing uncommon things. You know, that's what I try to do with this podcast. I just try to be a student of the world around me and see people who are are doing uncommon things and... I reach out to them and see if they want to come share about it on the show. And, you know, a decent amount of them haven't responded or said no. And a lot of them are saying yes. So, again, I don't I don't get down on myself if someone says no. I, th- I just think, well, someday they'll regret it and they'll want to come back on. And if that's God's will, then I'll be I'll be open. And I won't hold it over their head in that in that time. But I'd say when you connect with people, lead with adding value to them rather than asking them for something. And just trust that by adding value to them, you know, you will get what you need. So those are the five laws. Again, I want to just restate those. So law number one, the law of value. Law number two, the law of compensation. 
Law number three, the law of influence. Law number four, the law of authenticity. And the fifth law, the law of receptivity. And I'm going to close by sharing, they included in the book an author Q&A. So over the years, uh, since this book has been published and reached millions and millions of people, they obviously get emails and calls and questions that, that people have. And so I think these questions can clarify some things that might be confusing from just kind of a cursory 30,000 foot summation of these laws. So the first is, the question is, is being a go-getter a bad thing? Is being a go-getter a bad thing? And the authors say, absolutely not. Go-getters take action and get things done. But being a go-getter without having your focus on giving value to others is bound to be an exercise in frustration. As Joe experiences at the beginning of the story, being a go-giver actually makes you a more effective go-getter. If there is an opposite to a go-giver, it is not a go-getter, but rather the person who is constantly on the lookout for how the world can and should serve them, what the world owes them, person who puts that focus in front of everything, that person would be a go-taker, you might say. The second question, I've always given to charities. Does that qualify me as a go-giver? This is nuanced. People often hear giving and think of giving money and charitable contributions. While giving gifts of charity is a wonderful and righteous action in and of itself, it's not what we mean by being a go-giver. By giving, we mean being a giving person, period. Giving of one's thoughts, attention, care, focus, time, and energy. Giving values to others, it transcends mere financial giving. The next question, isn't it much easier and feasible to be a go-giver once you achieve wealth and success? No, quite the opposite, actually. Being a giving person is how you become rich and successful. You don't need money to be a giving person. And in fact, if you aren't a giving person, no amount of money or success in the future will turn you into a giver later in life. The process starts simply by adding value to other people's lives right now, wherever you are, in any way you can. The next question, does being a go-giver mean I should give away my product or services for free? While giving away something for free or discounted can help build a relationship and be a great marketing strategy, that's not being a go-giver. Being a go-giver doesn't mean you shouldn't profit for your services. Rather, charge what you're worth while simultaneously providing exceptional value. So whatever you provide, a product or service, charge what you're worth because you need to value yourself or no one else will. But even as you charge that, you can go above and beyond what that customer or that that business partner expects to receive. Last question I want to address is, is placing the needs of others before your own an act of codependence? Not necessarily, although you do well to guard against codependence. Placing others' interests before your own doesn't mean negating your own needs and interests. Rather, it means trusting that when you focus on others, your needs will be taken care of. And that is really a, a through line through this whole book. It's just that that faith, that trust factor. And for, for me personally, being a follower of Christ, that faith is huge, especially in my relationships and dealings with other people. Like I, I want to add value to people because I value people. Christ valued people. He added value to them. And he calls me to do the same. And so, yeah, does that mean sometimes you might get taken advantage of or it's not reciprocated? Sure. But I think I think detaching myself from the outcome of it and just knowing that it's worth giving and serving others in and of itself, just as an act of love, 
then I can freely leave the outcome in God's hands and I can rejoice whether it's, you know, returned back to me a hundredfold or if if I'm taken advantage of. It's in God's hands and, and he's the one who brings the blessing and he's a just God. So that is my book report on The Go-Giver. Again, I want to encourage you to read this powerful story um, and apply it. Implement them in your business. Implement them in your relationships and your finances. If you're not able to read the book, that's all right. You've listened to this, so you know the laws, so you have no, no excuse not to act on them. So I want to thank you for listening. Um, I hope this has been a challenge and an encouragement to you. I know I was certainly challenged and encouraged by reading this book, and I'm going to challenge myself to go out and take action. And I want to encourage you to do the same. So you've been listening to the Uncommon Podcast. I've been your host, Ryan, saying go out and give of yourself. Thank you for listening to The Uncommon Podcast. If you have benefited from our show, I would ask you to follow, rate, and review, and share our show. And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com, where you can learn more about our mission, sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.